Well, good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, I, I do hate to disappoint. I am not Stephen Bauman, and uh, as much as I, I would love to uh, write a book, um, I'm, I'm just not quite there in my career yet. So I'm, uh, I'm glad to be with you this morning. Thank you for that introduction, uh, Joe. What a, what a powerful word the word hope is. Um, I'm deeply encouraged by a church like New Hope that does actually support uh, not just an encouragement, but financially this work where you are literally joining with us uh, to be uh, Christ's hands and feet, both here on the front lines of uh, the U.S. as we welcome refugees and work with immigrants as well as around the world. So we are incredibly grateful for that and uh, incredibly humbled by your partnership. Um, so uh, it's, it's really good to be with you this morning. Uh, just a quick drive up from Baltimore City um, and, and glad to be here, uh, even as you're at home uh, in, this beautiful, in this beautiful building um, where the Word of God has been lifted up so many times uh, and will continue to be lifted up in the future. So I want to set the stage for where I'm going this morning by, by telling you a little bit about a story uh, about a man named Jerome. Um, and Jerome was, was a lot like uh, his life was going a lot like most of ours go, uh, just getting up, going to work, going back to bed. He had uh, a wonderful family um, where he would work hard, come back, put his kids to bed, go to sleep with his wife, and, and looked forward to doing that over and over uh, as he continued to work and see a life for future generations. Um, but everything changed. Um, see, Jerome lived in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and, and war began breaking out in 1996. Um, because of the violence, they finally realized that him and his family needed to flee. Um, and I don't know what you think of when you think of your home, but what Jerome thought of when he thought of home quickly changed for him. So him and his family, they fled to the country of Tanzania. Surely they'll be back soon, Jerome thought. We'll pack lightly. Well, one year in a refugee camp turned into two years. Two years turned into five years. Five years turned into 10 years. And 10 years turned into 19 years of moving from camp to camp to camp in a country that was not his own. Now, I'm going to come back to Jerome's story later on. But, but what I want to do, actually, is I, I want to make a point that actually, in some ways, our lives, while this is a much more intense example, are quite similar to Jerome's because as human beings, life often doesn't unfold how we expect. Maybe this morning, as you're listening to this, you're thinking of your own dashed expectations. Uh, maybe expectations that didn't work out with your job or with your family or in your community. Or maybe it was your New Year's resolution where it's February and you've already, you've already messed it up. Um, but the reality is, of, as humans is that we can't get away from this. Um, and we can't get away from this. I'm thinking, actually, as, as later today is going to be the Super Bowl, um, that the Super Bowl was the last time I spent with a, a large group of people, um, non-socially distanced, inside, no mask, hadn't even heard of wearing a mask at that point, eating all the food that I wanted to. Um, but how things changed, right? I look back, and I, I would look in my journal where I was writing about all of the plans that I had later on this year, and it's so funny to look back at that now because my expectations have drastically changed. Now, when this happens uh, as humans, um, we can often be left discouraged. We can often be left paralyzed and confused. 
Um, actually, most psychologists, when talking about the emotions that humans feel, uh, list disappointment as the third most common emotion that we feel. Now, you might be thinking this morning, wow, I am feeling very depressed already. Why did we have this guy come and speak? Um, I promise we're going somewhere. Um, but the question I want to ask this morning is when we lose our expectations, when we feel discouraged and stuck, where do we go? Uh, in our text this morning, we're actually going to walk alongside the disciples um, as they actually dealt with crushed expectations, as they dealt with um, feeling discouraged and stuck, the very people who walked the closest to Jesus. Um, but in the midst of that reality, crushed expectations, disappointment, and discouragement, we're actually going to see that Jesus brings to us an audacious statement. We're going to hear the statement from Jesus himself, and here it is. I'm going to go ahead and put it out here now, and we'll come back to it. And it's that those of us who follow Jesus, those of us who are his, who believe in him, will do greater works than he did. So that's the statement. I'm going to leave that with you. Um, but the question is, can we be so bold to ask that this morning in the midst of our broken expectations, in the midst of our sin-mired, broken world, in the midst of our hearts that sometimes feel paralyzed, broken, stuck. So let me give you a little bit of context. Uh, and by the way, as we go into this, we're going to be in John chapter 14. If you want to turn there, we're going to be in verses 12 through 18. But before we get there, I want you to journey with me with the disciples for a moment. So each of the disciples, they gave up everything to follow Jesus. They could look back at the time when Jesus looked them in the eye and said, come and follow me. Now that led them on quite the journey of listening to Jesus' teachings. Uh, in the book of John, actually, leading up to this point, Jesus has already performed seven miracles that have been laid out. Leading up to this point, Jesus has turned water into wine. He's healed an official's son. He's healed a disabled man and a blind man. He's fed the 5,000, he's walked on water, and most recently he just raised Lazarus from the dead. Um, I don't know about you, but if I was a disciple, I'd be feeling pretty good up to this point, hanging out with this Jesus guy. But yet, after all of these signs and all of these teaching, we get to John 12, verse 27, where Jesus turns his gaze and he looks towards the cross. And it says in verse 27 of John 12, Jesus says, for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And all of the sudden, for the disciples, everything seems to begin to unravel. Their expectations are beginning to change. Because Jesus, then in John 13, he's washing the disciples' feet. And what we see is that Jesus begins to make some prophecies. As they're sitting around the table with Jesus, Jesus makes a prophecy that Judas, one of their own, is going to portray Jesus. And all of a sudden, their expectation that they'd all be following Jesus together is dashed as they now see betrayal enter to the scene. But it's not even done there because Peter then in this moment says, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. But then Jesus looks to him and tells Peter himself that he can't even go where he's going and then prophesies that Peter will deny him three times. All of a sudden, their expectation of even following Jesus at all feels dashed. 
And this leads to discouragement. This leads to confusion and even paralysis for the disciples. Now we're going to be in John 14. And what we see as we even enter into the chapter of John 14, the very first words of Jesus are, let your hearts not be troubled. The disciples are feeling the weight of this. They're feeling troubled. And leading up to our verses 12 through 18, Thomas asks where Jesus is even going, unsure what's even happening at this point. And then Philip, doubting, implores Jesus to at least show them the Father so that would be enough for him. So let me read the text this morning as we all come to this on the face of unmet expectations and discouragement. John 14, verses 12 through 18, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells in you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you, Father, feeling, God, the weight of unmet expectations, feeling different pockets of our heart where we have discouragement, where we might have despair, where we don't know what to do. But God, this morning we come to you and we are humbled that you would call those who believe to follow you and to do your very works. Show us what that means as we sit in your word this morning. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So as we look at this text, we immediately need to deal with the reality that what Jesus has just said is a very audacious statement. Um, now, audacious statements are things that we're very used to now in this technological age. You know, as the Super Bowl is going to be later, we're probably going to hear a lot of those claims in various commercials that we often like to, to, to watch and sometimes laugh at. Um, I was just recently looking at a commercial, actually, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, uh, the chicken sandwich wars between uh, Chick-fil-A and Popeyes. I watched a commercial where Wendy's was so audacious to say that they had now entered the chicken sandwich wars, which we know they don't even have a seat at the table, whatever side you, you sit on. So I'm just throwing that out there. Um, but anyways, here's the main thing, though. We hear a lot of audacious statements, but we cannot let this statement from Jesus himself be drowned out in the midst of everything else we hear because this is from the very mouths of our Lord and Savior. And so what it says uh, is that we, those who will believe, will do the works of Christ and even greater. Um, if, if you're a note taker or a circler or an underliner, I want you to highlight the word whoever. Because the word whoever that we see here in verse 12, this is the entryway into our text. And what this means is that there's no option. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's no way to opt out of doing these works. Uh, you know, you can't, it's not like an email you get where you say, I don't want to hear any more of these because Jesus is calling you directly in this. Um, now what this means is this is a call for you, whoever you are. 
So often when we think about the call of Jesus, we say, you know what, let's leave that to the professionals. Let's leave that to the people that work at Christian nonprofits. Let's leave that to the people who have a theology degree. Let's leave that to the people who have lots of friends. But what we see is that this isn't for the special people. Matter of fact, if you're less educated, if you um, feel less confident, um, if you have made more mistakes in your life, you're closer to the context of the disciples than other people are. So Jesus calls all of us, whoever we are, and he also calls us no matter what's going on. So this morning, no matter how maybe paralyzed you feel because of the new life we've been living because of COVID, or no matter how discouraged you feel about what's going on in your life, Jesus looks at you and he calls you this morning. So if you don't get anything else from that this morning, anything, I want you to understand that Christ has called you right where you're at and he has enabled you to do his very works. So we can't opt out, um, but we also have to realize that, that if we come to this with the wrong mindset, there's, there's two ways we can kind of view this um, wrongly. One is as a burden. Oh, great, Jesus is telling me to do something that I can never possibly do, but that's not the case. Or we can view this as a fairy tale and say, you know what, this is just too crazy of a claim. Like, I believe what this Jesus guy says on most things, but I don't want to deal with this here. But this morning, I want you to lean into this with me, and we're going to look at what does it mean to do the works of Christ. And there's three things we're going to look at for the next few minutes. To do the works of Christ, we first have a bigger purpose. We second have a better source. And finally, we're going to look at what it means to obey in a beautiful obedience. So first of all, let's look at a bigger purpose. Um, those of us who follow Christ, we have a bigger purpose that's both an eternal and a global redemption. And we're going to see this specifically in verse 12. Now, as you're looking there at the text, uh, just a, a quick story. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was, I was hiking uh, on the Rocky Mountains. It was the only time I've ever been there in my life. And besides the fact that hiking at 10,000 feet gave me quite the headache, uh, it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. We would be walking up the snow-covered mountain from one pond to another, and as I was there, I thought to myself, this is the biggest mountain I'd ever seen. Now, I thought that for a while until my flight home, where I had an aisle seat on the plane, which, which was very nice. The sun was setting, and I, well, actually not an aisle seat, a window seat, and I look out the window, and I see there the Rocky Mountains. Not just the one mountain I, that I was hiking on, but I saw the entire expanse as the sun shone down on them. And I realized there is something so much bigger going on here. This is what it means as we're looking at the text this morning, that God is doing something so much bigger than what we oftentimes know or look towards. And we see this in verse 12 where Jesus says, I am going to the Father. Now what this means here at this point is that Jesus has a plan. Jesus knows what he's doing. The disciples don't really know what he's doing here. They're feeling confused and stressed out, but Jesus does. And a matter of fact, what we know as we look at the whole of the scripture is that Jesus has had a plan ever since the creation of the world. That means that we can't let our current context drown out the bigger work that our Lord is doing. Later on in verse 28, Jesus actually says that if you know that I'm going to the Father, you're going to rejoice someday because of that. Um, this is really important for us that we know this, and the disciples will finally get it. As we continue to, to go through the pages of Scripture, uh, it doesn't take long before we get to Acts, 
where it says in Acts 17, verse 6, that these very disciples who sit here so discouraged today, they'll finally realize what Jesus is doing. And it says in Acts 17, 6, that these men would, quote, turn the world upside down. I don't know about you, but that is a bigger purpose. And then these disciples would actually go on to follow Jesus so closely that they would give up, most of them, their lives for his sake. Now, when we lose sight of the fact that Jesus is doing something bigger, we can instead begin to pursue smaller purposes um, when, we, when we miss this. Um, one example of this is, you know, years ago, scholarship, actually, a lot of scholarship as they're studying astronomy thought that the, uh, the entire solar system would orbit around the world. Now, now, the answer is, is scientific, right? People finally found out that that's not the case. But it's as much philosophical as it is scientific because here's the deal. Us as human beings, we like to pretend that the world orbits around us. And it can be easier for us sometimes to worship a safer man-made idols than the Jesus who went to the cross. Eugene Cho says that we are enamored with a gospel that comforts us but we rarely are drawn to a gospel that also disrupts us. Um, so one way that we can run from this is to run uh, just to ourselves. The other way we can run to it is to smaller purposes. In, in his book, uh, C.S. Lewis, um, in the Screwtape Letters, where, where what's going on is we're actually following a, a group of demons who are figuring out how to tempt humans and distract them from their calling. Let me read this quote. Stick with me here on this quote from Screwtape Letters. It says, nothing is very strong, strong enough to steal away a man's best years, not in sweet sins, but in dreary flickering of the mind, over it knows what and knows not why, in gratification of curiosities so feeble that the man is only half aware of them, in drumming of the finger and kicking of the heels, in a, in a whistling tunes he does not like, or in the dim labyrinth of reveries that would have that not even lust or ambition to give them a relish, but which, once a chance association has started them, the creature is too weak and fuddled to shake it off. So how do we get out of pursuing that which is lesser? We realize that not only is this bigger purpose an eternal redemption that Jesus is working on, but it's also a global redemption. Um, and this is the work that I get to be part of so much at World Relief. Now, how do we know this? Uh, again, we're going to look back at some biblical theology here. If we go back to the beginning of the Bible, we look at Genesis chapter 12, where God calls Abraham and he, he takes Abraham outside and he says, Abraham, I want you to look at the stars of the sky. My followers are going to be more numerous than the stars of the sky and more numerous than the grains of sand. So we see that there's a, a numerous people who are going to be called, and we see it's going to be global as we look to Revelation at the very end of the Bible where it says that every tribe and tongue and nation will worship. Now what this means for us this morning in the bigger plan that Jesus is working is that the work of Christ is not ultimately American. The work of Christ is not ultimately white. This means we need to check as believers here what our world is made of. This means that we care about those who don't look like us. We care about those who are from different places. And my question this morning is who do we know who is different from us that we can be caring about globally? Who are we learning from who are different from us globally or culturally? Who are we partnering with? 
These are important questions for us. But this also means that we do join in alongside the global church, both to learn from what God's doing, but also to bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters. Uh, at World Relief, this is central to our work. So we work in the U.S. with refugees and immigrants, and then we work internationally with local churches. So in the U.S. with refugees uh, and immigrants, uh, we are compelled out of our love of Christ to help those who have fled, because at this point we're in a, a position uh, where there's more displaced people than ever in recorded history. Right now, there's over 26 million refugees. But it's an incredible opportunity for us here in the U.S. not only to walk alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also to share Christ with those. Outside of China and India, the U.S. has one of the highest amounts of unreached people groups within its walls than any country in the world. There is an opportunity for us here but also internationally, we come alongside the global church, empowering them, meeting them where they're at. Now we see that there is a bigger purpose, but there's also a better source that we have. This is really important for us this morning. Uh, just a, a small example of this, uh, a couple of days ago, I, um, this is kind of goofy, but I've started making kombucha, and uh, I, I made it, there was pressure that builds up, and so I couldn't twist the lid off of the bottle. Uh, which is kind of a problem because the pressure keeps building and at some point it's going to become a bit of a pressure cooker if I didn't get the lid off. So, uh, of course, in my own wisdom, I just kept trying to pull the lid until I actually and embarrassingly strained a muscle in my back. Um, I finally came to my senses and I did the wise thing. I asked my wife what I should do and she quickly said, let me actually think about it for a while and Google it. Um, later that evening, I came back, and she had a, a microfiber cloth on top of it, and she said, hey, use this. I twist, and pop, there it goes. Um, apparently, uh, it was a lot easier. But my point is this morning that we need a better source. How often, as humans, do we try to do things in our own power, trying to twist and turn things that we can't do, that God says, I will do it because I'm a greater power than you are? Um, this morning, we see that we have a new power. In verse 16, it talks about the helper. Um, in verse 16 of this text, it says that this helper, the Holy Spirit, will be with us forever. And, and how is this? It says in verse 17 that he dwells with, with us and will be in us. Going on to say that we know him. What does this mean for us this morning? This means that wherever you're at, if you are in Christ, you are never alone. And so often we can kind of get stuck in our fears, right? Um, I, I don't know about you if you ever uh, feel like me and you get hung up, up on what you bring to the table. Um, but there's more than that because Christ just wants our hearts. Jesus calls people, no matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert, no matter if you're funny or you're not funny, if you're educated or not educated, anything you can think of an excuse, Jesus still calls you because he has a bigger power and it's his spirit that he has put inside us. Um, and this is a relationship. So often we can get to this point, we can say, okay, great, Jesus, thanks for the Holy Spirit, but I want a checklist of things to do. You just told me that we're gonna do the works that you do, um, but Jesus doesn't give us a checklist. Um, it's not just about of a list of things we can do. It's not just about having a cause that we can say, okay, great, I have this cause, check. Now let me go live the rest of my life. Um, you see the difference? See, this morning I can't say to you that you have to know everything about Rwanda, a country we were working in uh, less than 30 years after a genocide, or about the Turkana tribe where we're working at, where they have had droughts 
that make them have to choose between are they going to feed their livestock or are they going to feed their kids? But what I can say is that you, that as believers, we are called to help those who are oppressed and vulnerable. I can't tell you this morning what organization you should join in your community or how many people you should know in your neighborhood. But I can tell you that you're called to love your neighbor and to care deeply about the needs in your community. See, this power will lead us to works, but it will lead us to something that is so much bigger. We also have a new relationship in this source of power. If you look at verse 13 and 14, something that's very important, Jesus says, right after he talks about these works, is whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. But then he goes on in verse 14 to say something different. He says, if you ask. Um, As a kid, I used to think, this is great. Jesus is a genie. He'll do whatever I want. But again, we see here that's not what it's about because he says that this is about the Father being glorified in the Son. This is something so much bigger. So here's my question for you this morning. What have you been asking Jesus for? Is it just for things in your own little bubble. Now, I'm not saying that we don't care about and pray for ourselves. I'm not saying we don't care about and pray for our family because we're called to. But as we saw before, this is tied to an eternal and a global redemption that Jesus is doing. If we ask, he will open up ways for us to ask. Uh, We also see, though, later on in verse 18, Jesus says that I will not leave you as orphans. Now, Now, first and foremost, this means that we're not on our own. But also, orphans Um, We have been brought into the family of Christ, which means that we've been brought into this together. Uh, If you are a part of New Hope, that means you're part of the body of Christ. We do this together. That means that we listen to the word together, um, to what Jesus cares about. And then what that means is that we look out together. So we, we hear what God cares about in his heart, and then we look out together because it says when Jesus was ministering, that he looked out to the crowds and he had compassion on them. As Christians, my question is, what are we looking at? Or are we just staying in our own bubble in ignorance? Again, at World Relief, uh, with our work, we focus on resourcing uh, the church with ways to know what's happening, particularly uh, around the refugee crisis, with serving immigrants and refugees here as well as serving around the world. And then what we do is we go out as Christians uh, in the power and presence of the Spirit um, and act. This morning, uh, maybe a couple examples would be helpful for us. We go out and we follow the same source that led uh, a man named Desmond Doss. I don't know if you've heard of him. He was a quiet, skinny Christian from Lynchburg, Virginia, who due to his faith, Uh, didn't believe that we should kill anybody in war. And because of those convictions, he refused to carry a weapon. Um, Now, he didn't really fit the Army's model, particularly during World War II, you could imagine, uh, during training. He would spend time during basic training praying, uh, and people would throw shoes at him. Yet, in 1945, uh, during a battle in Okinawa, he raised Uh, He saved the lives of 75 other soldiers, risking his life running onto the front fields of the battle. He had a different source. Or maybe it's a different source like Harriet Tubman, who was a believer, and she risked her life leading the Underground Railroad, freeing countless numbers of slaves. Said a fellow abolitionist about her, I never met any person of color, of any color, who had more confidence in the voice of God. 
Uh, or maybe it's just like a man named Rodney. You've probably never heard of him because he's just a middle-aged, average husband and father in the U.S. Originally, he thought that refugees shouldn't be allowed in the U.S. because they'd be a drain on our economy. But he was humble enough to come to a session World Relief led and listen to what the Bible says about God's call for the foreigner. And then he realized from there that he was called to take action. Uh, and to fast forward, he now is a, what we call a roadrunner uh, or somebody who drives a 15-passenger van week by week by week taking refugees to and from ESL classes. People call him, people call him Big Rob, and he has impacted the lives of people from so many different countries. This is what it looks like to live out of a new source. Now as we close today, I want to just look briefly at the final thing we're called to, and this is a beautiful obedience. Now if you look here, we see that in verse 15 where it says, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, when we think of this, we often think of a checklist of do's and don'ts, right? But it, what we need to realize as Christians is that, yes, we are called to, to care about what Jesus calls about, but we do this from freedom because what Jesus says is that he didn't throw the law out, but he actually kept in all of the law on our behalf. So we have a freedom now as we follow Jesus to then care about what he cares about, but then what we need to know is what, is what is the greatest commandment? Well, when we look back, um, when asked about what the greatest commandment was, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, quickly, we have to realize who is our neighbor. Now, when that, when that question arose, there was a lawyer who asked Jesus, who his neighbor was, and this is where the parable of the Good Samaritan came. Jesus answered the question of who our neighbor is with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, very briefly, that means who are we to love as our neighbor? That's whoever God puts in our path as we're walking this path of life. But beyond that, it's more. The parable of the Good Samaritan shows us that we're also called to specifically love those who have been victims of injustice, those who are poor, those who are at the margins, we must follow Jesus and go to those people because Jesus is doing something bigger. And if we join in in this type of beautiful obedience, even in the midst of our own broken lives and dashed expectations, we will be participating in a bigger purpose out of a bigger source in part of a bigger calling. He still calls us right where we're at. Now, I don't know if you remember Jerome, who I was talking about at the beginning of this. Well, Jerome was in a spot of despair. His expectations were dashed. But then what happened is the Lord used a group of believers in the United States. They were part of the Lord's bigger, eternal and global uh, purpose. And they welcomed him in as he came to the U.S. as a refugee. These same believers were connected to the Holy Spirit. They were looking outwards at what Jesus has called us to look to. They were, uh, they were praying and asking God to give them opportunities. And so they began to then walk through life with Jerome and serve him as a refugee. And now this Jerome, who I talked about at the very beginning, is a co-worker of mine at World Relief. He's a family support coordinator for one of our offices. And now he is doing the same thing in a beautiful obedience, loving his neighbor as he works with refugees and immigrants from all around the world. 
So this, this morning, in the midst of your own dashed expectations, in the midst of the discouragement that can come from that, may we be so bold as to listen to what Jesus calls us to, to do his very works and to take part in a bigger purpose where we live with a better source and take part in a beautiful obedience. Let, let's hear these words as we close out this morning uh, of Amanda Gorman, a young black woman who has a stutter who was so bold to give these words at the presidential inauguration. She said, when the day comes, we step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it, for there is always light if we're only brave enough to see it, if we're only brave enough to be it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you would call us to something that is so much bigger than we can do on our own. God, we are humbled, and if we're honest, sometimes we're scared when we hear a call to follow you, to walk in your footsteps, the one who went to the cross for us. But we thank you this morning that you are doing something so much bigger, that you did not leave us as orphans, and that you've called us to follow commands that are not burdensome, but commands that are life-giving as we walk in the freedom of your presence and the freedom of your gospel. We pray now that you would use each of us right where we're at, God, that we wouldn't be staring only at our dashed expectations or only at our discouragement, but rather that you would focus our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, that you would use us to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. We love you, and it's in your name I pray. Amen.